Welcome back to the Dr. Who Dat podcast, the show where we dive into the stories of some of history's most prominent physicians. My name is Jacob Edelman. And I'm Divya Balchandler. And we are medical students at Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia. It's our hope that this podcast will allow our listeners to gain a greater appreciation for medical history and the folks behind the diseases we medical students all love to memorize. This episode will focus on the American surgeon, Dr. Michael Ellis DeBakey. Before we get into Dr. DeBakey's life, let's set the scene and drop into early 20th century America. First, we start off with some notable moments and milestones from this era. 1914 to 1918 saw the bloodiest global conflict to date, known at the time as the Great War, or the War to End All Wars, which unfortunately didn't age too well. In the midst of battle, the first long-distance telephone service was established in 1915 between callers from New York and San Francisco. After years of suffrage, American women finally received the right to vote in 1920 via the passage of the 19th Constitutional Amendment. Finally, 1927 saw Charles Lindbergh make the first solo nonstop transatlantic flight on his plane, the Spirit of the St. Louis. Incidentally, Lindbergh shares his first name and several personality traits with the bold yet deranged adventurer Charles Muntz from one of my favorite Pixar films, Up. So I know what you may be thinking. Hey, where was this major U.S. event? Yeah, well, too bad. We're in control here, and after all, this is a medical history podcast, so can't spend all day in the intro with general facts, especially since there's so much more left to share about American contributions to science during this time. For example, in 1913, Dr. Paul Dudley White became one of the first cardiologists, later pioneering the use of the EKG. Albert Einstein and his crazy hairdo first postulated the theory of relativity in 1915. During the 1930s, American chemist Linus Pauling was among the first in the field to use quantum mechanics to describe chemical bonding. Finally, the triad of Avery, McLeod, and McCarty demonstrated in a 1944 experiment on bacteria that DNA, and not protein, is the true genetic material of life. Now that we've brought in some context, let's take a minute to review where medical students like us may have previously heard the name DeBakey within our training. Perhaps the reason why eyes widen across the medical field when we hear this name is that it takes many of us back to our first surgery experience. Let me paint you a word picture. You are a third year medical student. Perhaps like me, this is your first time scrubbed into an operating room. You look carefully around the room, ensuring not to touch anything, or risk the wrath of your attending throwing you out before you can say, what do you mean that I broke the sterile field? Having survived your first moments of observation, the procedure begins. The physician, looking over at the pile of metal instruments on a nearby table, states a cacophony of words to the scrub nurse. Alice, Babcock, Coker, Kelly. And they immediately know which variation of shiny curved instrument to supply the team. And then, like a chorus of angels, the surgeon looks to the nurse and asks for a debakey. Yes, the same debakey as the topic of this podcast. They hand the surgeon a large, majestic instrument. No, not one with a fine ribbed handle like those other lame, atraumatic forceps. No, the debakey has a distinct, coarsely ribbed grip panel. And as we'll soon learn, Dr. Debakey himself was an adept surgeon 
during which time he perfected the use of these tissue forceps that bear his name. Once again, let us venture into 20th century America so we may begin to appreciate the circumstances of Dr. DeBakey's early life. Born in September 1908 to Lebanese Christian immigrants in Lake Charles, Louisiana, Michael DeBakey, later anglicized to DeBakey, was the oldest of five children. Along with his siblings, Michael excelled in school and his interests were quite diverse. In addition to studying biology, he spoke French and German, played the saxophone, and would even spend time reassembling car engines for fun. In his memoirs, Dr. DeBakey credits his interactions with physicians who would frequent his father's drugstore as a primary influence for his interest in medicine. Lest we be remiss, we must also talk about his mother's influence on his life. Her tutelage in knitting and sewing not only helped foster early development of manual dexterity, but also helped keep Dr. DeBakey stylish throughout his lifetime. After entering medical school at Tulane University in 1928, he found a knack for academic medicine and research. One of his greatest contributions to medicine, made at the age of 23, mind you, was devising a roller pump system that he initially used for blood transfusions. He astutely realized he could use this device, originally used to study pulse weights of fluids such as blood, to transfer blood from donor to recipient. Two decades later, the same device became a crucial part of heart-lung machines used in open-heart surgery. Wait, 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 wait. Did you say that he was only 23? The biggest accomplishment I had at age 23 was briefly growing a mustache exclusively to make mustache-themed puns. Mine would probably be effortlessly reenacting new girl scenes thanks to my five total rewatches. No big deal. Who's that girl? It's Div. Anyways, so we go back to DeBakey. After medical school, he completed training and residency in a charity hospital in Louisiana, after which, at the suggestion of his mentors, traveled to Europe to strengthen his surgical skills, during which he also translated French and German medical transcripts into English. Wow, so his trilingualism came quite in handy. Indeed it did. Of note, while DeBakey was training in Germany in 1936, he participated in forced sterilization of patients under the Nazi regime. During a 1972 interview, Dr. DeBakey admitted to his participation in these procedures, which were forced upon Jewish people, the insane, and congenitally ill. However, he shared that upon learning that they were being forced upon these patients, he withdrew from the procedures and did his best to stop participating and observing them. It's important to take a moment to place this within the context of power dynamics within medical training. As medical students and trainees, even today, there's often an unspoken assumption that learners must go along with what the attending physician decides or face retribution or disciplinary action. We are by no means attempting to justify what Dr. DeBakey did as performing unwanted sterilization on patients is always unethical. However, it is important to have this understanding when reflecting upon his role in these surgeries as he may not have felt he had the agency to speak up within the system and actually advocate for his patients. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's also easy to vilify individuals from the past without considering the historical context of their lives. So given the fact that in addition to all of the things you just said, he was a foreign medical student visiting in a hospital in a fascist controlled government, likely didn't give him much wiggle room either. Yeah, exactly. Following his time abroad, he returned to the U.S. in 1937 and continued his journey in medicine back at Tulane. In 1948, at the age of 40, 
Dr. DeBakey was invited to serve as the head of surgery at Baylor University. He was initially skeptical leaving Tulane for a school without a teaching hospital or faculty, but he took a chance and transformed the program into the bustling medical hub it is today. During his 45-year tenure, he served not only as the chair of surgery, but also president, CEO, and eventually chancellor of Baylor University. Till this day, Dr. DeBakey remains one of the most decorated physicians in American medical history. Among his accolades for his contributions to medicine include the U.S. Army's Legion of Merit in 1945, the American Medical Association's Distinguished Service Award in 1959, the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1969, the National Medal of Science in 1987, the United Nations Lifetime Achievement Award in 1999, and the Congressional Gold Medal in 2008. He has received over 50 honorary doctorates and has countless names of departments, buildings, and laboratories named in his honor. One of his proudest achievements, however, remains the Michael E. DeBakey High School for Health Professions in Houston, Texas, a successful effort to increase exposure and access for underrepresented minorities entering medicine. And now I know what you're thinking. This guy sounds so great, but we barely even heard about what he did. Stop this craziness and let's get on with it. Okay, okay. We'll take a deep breath, slow that heart rate, and let's get to it. If there's one thing to take away from today about Dr. DeBakey, let it be his trailblazing efforts in cardiovascular surgery. In the early 1950s, Doctors DeBakey and Cooley performed the first repair of an abdominal aortic aneurysm, or AAA, in the United States by replacing the diseased vessel with one from a preserved cadaver. As you can imagine, it was not always the easiest to secure an intact healthy aorta from a deceased donor, so DeBakey realized he needed to find a way to create new material that could replicate the tissue. Now, do you remember how earlier in the show we mentioned how he learned to sew from his mother? Well, here's how it paid off. The department store he often visited for materials was out of nylon, so instead they suggested that he use a polyester fabric called Dacron. He then went home and sewed his own aortic tube by hand out of the material using his wife's sewing machine. For the next several years, he continued to produce Dacron graphs for himself and his colleagues to use until they were mass-produced. Take a sneak peek at the show notes to see this sewing stud in action. Lest you think Dr. DeBakey was a one-hit wonder, he continued to pump out other numerous firsts in the field of cardiovascular medicine. For example, in 1953, he performed the first documented carotid endarterectomy, and his patient remained symptom-free for almost 20 years. In the following years, he also performed the first angioplasty and the first successful coronary artery bypass graft procedure. And if you've ever stepped foot in an ICU setting, you'll know that his footprint on cardiovascular medicine does not end there. In the 1960s, DeBakey also participated in the development of ventricular assist devices. In 1966, he performed the first left ventricular bypass pump procedure on a 30-year-old woman. His accomplishments even secured him a spot with NASA to develop the first implantable left ventricular assistance device, which is known today as the MicroMed DeBakey VAD. These devices are now used in intensive care units around the world as temporary replacements in case of myocarditis and bridges to recovery before a heart transplant. Good to know that his efforts were not all in vain. Haha, <laughs> get it? Because he's a vascular guy? Tough crowd. In addition to his love for cardiovascular surgery, Dr. DeBakey was also passionate about working with the armed forces and veterans. 
During World War II, DeBakey served in the Army's Surgeon General's office, where he formulated pathways to improve surgical services to those in the front lines. Together, they developed surgical groups to provide care to wounded troops in what are now known as Mobile Auxiliary Surgical Hospital Units, or MASH units. These teams improved survival of soldiers in future American wars and became the subject of very popular television shows. After the war, he continued to remain engaged with veterans and worked to improve their health care. For example, Dr. DeBakey served as a surgical advisor for the Korean and Vietnam Wars and developed continued health care plans for military personnel returning from active duty. From these efforts, Dr. DeBakey acted as an early architect for what eventually evolved today into the Department of Veteran Affairs. Okay, now it's time for the fun stuff. For the next time, you're at Trivia Night, and the category is Literal Texas Heartthrob or Medical Seamsters of the 20th Century. We give you random trivia about Dr. Michael DeBakey. In 1965, Time Magazine affectionately named him the Texas Tornado due to his, quote, incredible drive for perfection, the unending concern for his patients, and the utter domination of his life by his profession. Others say it was due to his temper and high expectations for trainees. But we'll just stick to thinking of him as a dedicated physician. Also, while serving as chair of President Johnson's Commission on Heart Disease, Cancer, and Stroke in 1965, Dr. DeBakey advocated for the creation of a National Library of Medicine, which came to fruition via the Medical Library Assistance Act. In the 2000s, DeBakey himself suffered an aortic dissection. In an ironic twist of fate, he was operated by one of his trainees and lived to tell the tale. Finally, throughout his 70-year career, DeBakey treated over 60,000 patients, including many notable political leaders, such as U.S. Presidents John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, the Duke of Windsor, and even the Shah of Iran. So let's do a quick TLDR of everything we discussed today. Dr. Michael DeBakey was born in an immigrant household in Louisiana and grew up perfecting many talents, including language, music, and arts and crafts. He was quick to create innovative devices in cardiovascular surgery, including a roller pump system that has been adapted for heart-lung machines today. His trailblazing efforts in cardiovascular surgery did not end there. He's credited with developing surgical techniques, including AAA repair, carotid endarterectomy, angioplasties, and cabbage. Finally, his ventricular assist devices are still used in ICUs today. And to think, I had always assumed he was only known for making some funky surgical pincers. This guy rocked. And with that, we wrap up this episode of Doctor Who Dat. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We hope this has helped you put a face to one of the thousands of things medical professionals need to learn. And if you're ever in need of another distraction, be sure to tune back in to the Doctor Who Dat podcast. Until next time, we've been Jacob and Divya. Bye. Bye.